Welcome to our new series um, here at New Beginnings Uniting Church, where we are looking at the seven messages to the church um, found in the book of Revelation. Let's just pray. Let's just come into this space and just ask God to open our hearts and our minds to what uh, we can understand from this passage from the Bible. So let's just pray together. Gracious, loving God, we just ask that you open our hearts, you open our minds, you open our whole very self to, to your leading in our lives. May you open us up to your word found in Revelation that we may understand it for us today, for the church and for the world. We just ask that you will guide us in this moment. We ask this in the name and the power of Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're doing a new preaching series on, on Revelation, but just a short section in Revelation. It's actually the seven messages to the churches in Revelation. Now, we know that as, as an individual, as people within the church, that when we talk about a message to the church, it's not to the building. It's actually to the individuals of the church. It's, yes, we've got leaders within the church. We've got members within the church. We've got people that are um, just part of the church exploring and understanding, and that's who this message is for. It's not somebody else. It's not another denomination. It's not the church over the road. It's none of that. It is actually a message to us, the believers and the people of the church. And so this is a message to us, and it's important for us to hear this individually and collectively as the members of Christ's body, the church. So when we're, when we're having a look at this passage that we're going to explore today that Kimberly read for us just a little while ago, it's actually a passage to the church in Ephesus. It's a challenging passage about our relationship with God. And just to give you a little history, a little understanding why I wanted to choose to, to do a message from Revelation. And I have to be honest with you, uh, Revelation is not one of those um, books of the Bible that I've spent lots of time preaching upon. It's one that often uh, preachers will kind of avoid and we won't jump into it, might select one or two passages from it, but it's one that we kind of don't really jump into. It was interesting because um, in June, um, Annette and I had a little um, short break away and I was reading a book called um, The Seven Churches, um, Messages, uh, so Being the Church in a Time of Crisis, and it was written by Mike Breen. And as I was reading through... Um, through that book, it really struck me and it came to me and I, I had a deep feeling that I really needed to preach upon the seven messages um, found in Revelation to the church. I just needed to allow that open up for us and so that we may come to some kind of understanding for ourselves, that it's speaking to us in this moment that we find ourselves as, as a church in society, as a church that where we are locked down and not able to be the way we used to be able to be, and a church where, you know, at the moment I, I'm, I'm in a room and I've got cameras in front of me and I don't have the body of Christ in front of me, I don't have the members in front of me, and it's very strange. 
And you would think that we are in crisis, but we can be so much more than that. We can be a church that is reaching out and doing so much even in this time that we find ourselves. So, so just so that we can kind of get our understanding and, and grounding of where this message comes from, I just want to actually read to you, bring to you the, the, the actual very first part of, of this message. And it comes from Revelation 1. It's kind of the prologue, it's the greeting, it's um, the introduction. And it says, this, this is the revelation from Jesus Christ. Notice who the message is coming from. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant John. So this is the person that is writing this message the servant John, who faithfully reported everything he saw. This is his report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was and who is still to come, from the sevenfold spirit before his throne and from Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness of these things, the first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. See, Revelation, let's just bring it in, this book in the Bible, the last book in the Bible, Revelation, it's written by John. And it's written by John while he's in exile on on the island of Patmos. Now, Patmos is this little rocky island and and it's off off the coast of Turkey. So you kind of give it in that geographic worldview. It's off the coast of Turkey, and it's not far from the seven churches. You know, if you you go back into the mainland, the seven churches are throughout that region. But Patmos, this place, was actually a place of exile. It was a place of punishment. The authorities would would send people that they wanted to punish to the island of Patmos, um, and they would banish them there. And it was a hard existence. And this is where John has this vision, this revelation from God to the church to help it understand that the time is coming near of God's return, that we as a church have let things creep into our lives, the patterns of who we are and the ways and beings of being a church that is against God's plan for us. It's speaking into our lives. But as we come and we read Revelation, we need to try and understand it. And I want to give you a few hints, a few things that will help you understand Revelation. The first is when we read Revelation, we always need to read it with humility. We need to read it with humility because as we read it, we need to understand that 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 maybe we don't have all the answers. As we read it, the thoughts that are popping into our brain and mind may not be the answer. We also need to read, read it knowing that maybe our, our interpretation of this notoriously difficult book of the Bible is not 
the correct interpretation. So many people over the years have gone, Christ is coming now, you've got to do this, and it doesn't appear. So we've got to be careful about how we interpret this. However, it doesn't mean that we ignore the book. It doesn't mean that we push it aside. We, we actually need to read Revelation and know it's written for people in a historic con- context. This, this revelation is to the seven churches in Asia Minor. It's, it's to them that it's written. It has a historical context, and they will understand the language much more easily then we will understand the language in our modern world and society. But that doesn't mean that the revelation is not ongoing and continuing for us today. We need to let God speak to us through this book now. And it also doesn't mean that God is not going to continue to speak to people through this book. So it's, 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 it's revelation to a historical context, to a people in a place. It's, it's revelation to us now, and it's revelation in the time to come. It all has a future contest. We need to take it seriously. At the same time, we also need to understand it is full of symbols and it's full of images. It's prophetic and it's, it's, to use a a theological and biblical study word, it's an apocryphal book of the Bible. It's it's a book of the Bible that is, is talking about what is a vision. It uses language that allows open interpretation in this space. So let's just come back and let's just hear the message again that, that, that Christ gave to John to write to the church at Ephesus. And it says this. Let me go to the Bible again. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation, just, just so that you know where this actual version is coming from. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, and the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. So it's from God and from Jesus Christ. I know all these things you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles, but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the work you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place amongst the churches. But this is in your favour. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans, just as I do. Anyone who with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. Wow, this this is such a big big, bold statement about the church. So here, the message is to the church in Ephesus. And, and, and let's just be honest. Let's listen to this as the church here in New Beginnings. Let's listen to this as the church here in, in New South Wales, as the uniting church in this space. Let's listen to this message as well. See, as we go into the historical context, the church, the church at Ephesus 
See, Ephesus was an important city. It was, it was a it was a city on the major trade routes. We had all these different trade routes through the Roman Empire. So the Romans built all of these highways and roads that they would travel and commerce would come and people would come and cities on the crossroads of those, such as Ephesus, would, would become these large cosmopolitan important trading centres. And you would have different philosophies, you would have different um, religions, you would have different cultures, you would have different people coming through. It was a crossroad. It was this melting pot of lots of different things. But it was also such an important place because the Apostle Paul saw Ephesus and said, this is a place that we want to plant a church in. And so he and Priscilla and Aquila actually went and planted a church and Paul came back to Jerusalem and then went back again, um, all in that kind of space. But he, Paul knew that if he reached Ephesus, that if he reached the people in Ephesus, because it was in that crossroad, it was that trade routes going all around, that the message of Jesus Christ would spread throughout all of the region. You reach that key city and the message would go. And so Paul is saying that this city, this city is so important, and that's the city that we're talking about. However, in, the, in the, the vision that John has, that is given to him on the island of Patmos, however, in that space, we, we, we see that God has lots of things that he says are great about the church at Ephesus. You know, he commends that church in so many different aspects but reprimands them for one single flaw. You would think that if you had, and just think about it, you know, you, you, you had all these wonderful things you're doing, but one thing you don't do and you go, oh, well, we can overlook that one thing. We can think that that's okay. And we often do that as churches, as individuals, we often go, well, we're doing all of this good stuff. Yeah, I know I've got a flaw back here. I've got this thing that I just want to kind of hide away or let, you know, just let slide. The thing is, when this revelation came and they're talking about the church in Ephesus, it actually is a fatal flaw. It's a flaw that has crept up on them as they were doing the good work of spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. It's a flaw that came upon them. And that is because they forsake their first love. They forsake the love of Jesus Christ. They, they, they let their passion that they first had when they came to faith fade and dwindle and disappear. Interestingly, if you, if you actually understand and know a bit of the history of the, the city of Ephesus, it's actually now a dead city. It, it, it's gone. And, and the reason being is that it was part of this trade route. And one of the parts of the trade route was their, their river. And the river would come in from the sea. And it was, you know, quite a bit of a distance from the, the, the ocean. But one of the major trade routes is by sea coming through there. You bring all the goods, the heavy goods, everything through that space. And the problem was that over time, the sand in the river, the silt in the river, started blocking it up and causing it to go slower and slower so that the river became a trickle and then completely dried up. And this caused the city to die because it had lost its access 
to the sea. It's lost its access to what was giving it life. And in so many respects, that is the nature and this is the understanding of what it means when we lose the first love, which is Jesus Christ, as a church. If we lose that, we dry up. And it may be something that slowly trickles through and builds up over time as we forsake one thing or another thing and we just let it slide a little bit, but we're concentrating on the things that we're doing really well and it's so important, but this little build-up of lack of passion and lack of knowing who Christ is in your life and it just takes over will kill us. Here's the thing. Ephesus, the church at Ephesus, they forsake their first love. See, the church was, you know, it was praised for its perseverance. It was praised for its hard work. It was praised for its sound doctrine. This is what, you know, the angel is saying. This is what Jesus Christ is saying to the church in this vision. That you've done really well. You've persevered. You've done really great hard work things. You've got great sound doctrine. They were a church that were grounded in the scriptures. They were, they were weighing up ministries um, against what the word in the Bible said. They, they, they would be what you would call a really sound, scripturally discerning, biblically based church. They had the ability to tell the truth of, of, of a statement that people made about God or on behalf of God. At first glance, you would say that they were a church that was going really well. They were succeeding in so many different areas. They were, they were having new people come. The church was getting bigger and growing and thriving and it was sending people out into the regions and other churches were coming and growing and thriving. And you think that's fantastic, but they had lost their love of Christ in that space. It was a deal breaker. They thought they knew it all. They thought that their way of doing things had become the most important. It says, you don't love me or each other as you first did. Look how far you have fallen. They lost their love of God and they become so ingrained with doing the right thing of having the right ideas that they had let go of their love of God. They were no longer passionate about God and about the message of Jesus in their life. Yeah, they would have paid lip service. They would have used the words. They would have done the things, but their heart had grown cold. See, this is a, such a huge challenge for us, this message. Um, well, while it's speaking to the church of Ephesus, I think, it speaks to us. I think it speaks to me. I think it speaks to all of us about whether we have actually lost the first love, which is Christ. You know, I know I'm guilty of this, and I, I want to be honest with you, and I'm, I'm sure everybody else is guilty of this. We, we have this waxing and waning relationship with God. There will be days, months, there will be periods of our life when we are passionately on fire for Jesus Christ. There's nothing can stop us back. We are in prayer. We are reading the Bible. We are, we are telling others about Christ. We are doing all of these things and, and it's just flowing from us. But 
then there are periods of times, and, and that may be because things haven't gone quite right or there's been a problem or, you know, the, the society is making it hard for us when we let things compound upon us and we let it flow away. Or there's moments when we think that we've got it right. So often, and I want to just put it out there, so often when we get recognised within the church as, as being somebody that is, is doing great work or doing great things, we often let it go to our heads and it becomes about what we do rather than about what God is doing through us. And that's a trap for so many people and so many preachers and so many churches that it became about what they were doing and not about God, not about God's work through them. So let's take this message to the church as a message for us. Let's take this message as a way to come back into our first love, into the passion that we had when we first said yes to Jesus Christ. Let's make that commitment again to Christ in our lives. And here's the thing. Here's the thing that I think that happened at Ephesus. And the reason why they lost their first love of Christ is I think the church started to believe that they could do it in their own power. They started to believe in their own correct understanding of how things were. I think they became prideful. Being a successful church, they started to believe in the ministries and the things that they did. They started to believe in themselves and the success they had rather than in God's power and in God's grace. And see, this is the thing. This is pride. This is pride at work. The gospel has at its heart a message of grace, God's grace, grace to us, grace to the whole world, to all of creation. Grace, and here's the thing about grace, grace is initiated by God. God is the one that continues to continue extending that grace. So grace comes, starts from God, not from us. It is continued and extended by God towards us. The gospel is, is about God's grace extended to us through Christ's life, teaching, death, and resurrection. It's not about the works that we do. It's about God's work through Christ. We do good works in response to the, the grace that we receive from God. We show our faith in Christ Jesus by the things that we do, by the love that we show one another and that our neighbours around us. We do that, but it's not because we do those works that we have grace. It's because God has given that grace to us freely and openly. And we respond to that. Here's the thing about pride, though. When we are prideful, we tend to start taking credit for what God has been doing. And then we start taking for granted what God has been doing. And then we tend to compare ourselves with others and think because our church is doing well that God must be blessing this space and blessing us and that we must be doing something right and therefore we invest back in the things that we are doing and we start 
over time, little by little, letting go of the first love of Jesus Christ. And we start thinking about strategic plans and ways we're doing things and the importance of all of this stuff that we do as a church and whether we've got live stream happening, whether we've got the right technology, whether we've got all of this going. And we forget that over time, little by little, as we're investing in the plans and processes of our minds, that we've forgotten the first love of Christ. Here's the thing about, about what happens when you're prideful, and especially prideful about, about having correct theology. See, the church at Ephesus, they, they, they thought they had theological correct, correctness, the pride in its own theological correctness, but they lost the love of Jesus in themselves. They become wrapped up in their own understanding of the scriptures that they had lost the love of Jesus. The intensity of our first love, and I'll just read a little section from the, from the book I was talking about, the, the, the seven churches. The intensity of our first love is something that we must not lose as we grow and mature. It is not to be rejected along with other elements of our early Christian experience, which may have arisen from an infantile faith. Pride will always be the greatest enemy of love. So here's the thing. Pride gets in the way as we start to understand more and more. When we first come to faith, yes, we have a young faith and we may not know everything and we don't understand the complexities and the the difficulties and the nuances of what it means to be a Christian. That's true. And as we grow in faith, we start to understand those. As we read the Bible more and more, we understand the the work of God within the world. As we experience God's outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon us, we understand that more and more. But when we start thinking that we are becoming mature and so much more important and we understand things more clearly, we let go of some of those early parts of what it means to be a young believer, and we have, you know, a deeper sense of faith. We have a deeper understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have a deeper understanding of it all. And yet what happens as we start to think that we know more and we have a deeper understanding of this, we've let go of the love and the passion that we had when we first came to Christ. And this is what happened to the church at Ephesus. They let go of the love and the passion when they first came to know Jesus Christ. Their their hearts have become hard. When we think that we can do it all, we lose love. When we believe that we are better than others, we lose love. When we think the way that we do our things, is the right and only way we lose love. When we think that we have knowledge better than everyone else, we lose love. See, pride has always been the greatest enemy of love. But even with pride, there is a means of escape. And let me just share with you from 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. In the same way, You who are younger must accept the authority of the elder, and all of you 
Dress yourself in what? In humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So when we are thinking about the message that is going to the church at Ephesus, when we think about the message that is coming to us about reclaiming that first love, not letting ourselves think that we are better than ourselves, that we are more prideful in who we are, we need to learn to humble ourselves which is putting off the things that we think are better than everybody else and letting God be the one who leads our lives. We need to come back to our first love of Jesus Christ. And the other thing that we need to understand, and I love this, is, is, is from the, the greatest commandment. See, this is the complaint that, that they had against the church in Ephesus, that they'd lost this. So in Matthew 22, verse 30, from verse 37, it says, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbour as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So, so here's the thing. They were doing all of this great work, but they lost the love of God. They'd lost love and God with all of their heart, all of their soul, all of their mind. They'd lost that first command, the greatest commandment. And they'd also lost, you notice what it says there, that you, you, you've grown cold, you've gone hard, you've lost your love of, of first love, and you've lost what it means to love each other. You've lost the love that you had for your neighbours. And that was the charge. That was the flaw. That was the fatal flaw. They'd lost loving God with all their heart, their soul, and their mind. They'd lost loving their neighbour as themselves. I want to ask you this question. Is your faith in Jesus Christ, is it what it used to be? Do you love God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and all of your mind? Do you love your neighbour as you love yourself? These are questions we need to constantly keep on asking ourselves. These are questions that challenge us. Have we become prideful in our faith, thinking that we are better than everybody else, that what we do is the way we, it should be done? Have we become prideful in our own theological understanding of things? Have we become prideful in the way that we behave as a church and think that we have got it right? If we have, we are losing our first love, which is Jesus Christ. I want to pray with you right now. I want to pray with you right now. And, and Church Online, if you're on our Church Online platform, I want to ask you, if you feel as though your love of Christ is not as what it should be, I want you to hit the button that says, um, I commit my life to Jesus Christ. Basically, it's raising your hand. It's saying, I, I believe this. If you're on, on Facebook, on our Facebook feed, and, and you feel like your, your faith is not what it used to be, that you feel like it's waxing and waning and going away, I want you to put an emoji of a raising hand in there. I want you to go, yes, Lord, I want to know your love again in my life so much more fully, so much more passionately, so much more in depth that, that it surpasses everything. 
If you feel that way, I want you to raise your hand. I want you to say yes. I want you to do something active within our online platforms and say, yes, this is what it is. And I want us to be able to then pray together. So let's just pray. But dear God, never let us forget the safety and security of your love for us, that you have surrounded us, you have drawn us in, you brought us close. Lord, help us to know that you are our Lord and Saviour. Help us to know that your grace goes beyond all things, beyond all measures. Help us to know that we live our lives in your grace, O oh God. Help us to know when we are walking away and help us to come back. Lord, bring passion back into our lives. Bring enthusiasm back into our faith. Bring passion for you, O Christ, into every being of ourselves. Lord, help us if we become prideful. Lord, humble us. Lord, help us if we have lost love. Ignite in us love once again. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, just pray with me now. Pray with me, everybody. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, I place my life in your hands. For I have sinned against you and I have sinned against others. My life is not what it used to be. Oh, Lord, forgive my sins and draw me close to you again in your great love. May, I, may my life reflect your love for all of the world. I pray this in your holy name. Amen.